The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. Today's show was hosted by Sarah Storm. Let's talk about self-care. What was once synonymous with spa days and bubble baths has become an active revolution in the workplace. But it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of routine. When you hear self-care as a buzzword, people are often like, what does that mean? And honestly, it does mean something a little different to everybody. The beauty of where we are today, it's community-driven, preventative, habitual, and really from the bottom up. That's Mara Leidy. She and her friend Naomi Hirabayashi met at work 10 years ago. They both really got the need for self-care as they pushed ahead in their careers. But as young women of color, they felt left out by what was available. Mainstream wellness apps seemed to represent one set of experiences. Content was overly aspirational. Voices mostly sounded the same. It didn't work for them. So they decided to build something new. Five years ago, Mara and Naomi launched the Shine app to make taking care of mental health more inclusive. Now, they have over 4 million users. Today, we're talking about why self-care and mindfulness in workspaces are both so important. And even more than that, how true inclusiveness and belonging improve the experience and the product of work. It's not about embodying an ideal. It's about taking care of ourselves and each other. Here's Mara and Naomi. Naomi starts us off. We both struggled with the normal day-to-day stress and anxiety that comes Mm -hmm. from living and comes from trying to to create a life for yourself and trying to show up in the best way possible. Um, And we also knew, and this was a big part of our conversations from very early on when Mara and I met, that that stress and anxiety was also colored by who we were as women and women of color based on how we grew up our socioeconomic status, our trauma, our experiences, our family dynamic, all of that went into how we're able to intersect with with day-to-day life and different experiences at work. Um, It also affected how we related to the world and also how the world treated us. And so when we took a step back and we looked at the wider industry, we saw that the data was like really crystal clear on our own experiences, speaking to this lack of representation in the space. So, for example, Black Americans are 20% more likely to experience mental health issues than other Americans. And in 2015, only 5% of psychologists were Black. And you see similar disparities across the LGBTQ community, the Asian American community, the Latinx community. There's an over-indexing in terms of just experiencing more mental health struggles because of oppression racist systems, being marginalized, being otherized, but there's less representation in the solutions. And so that was what led us to start Shine with the mission to make taking care of your mental health more inclusive. And it started from our own experience. What do we know now about mental health and mindfulness in the workplace that we that we maybe didn't know even just five years ago? And Naomi and I often talk about this shift from self-help to self-care and this idea that we can all think of a time or references from like the 80s or 90s where you either saw this um, like guru-esque focus on mental health from Tony Robbins to the 
Oprah's of the world, who we still love, obviously Oprah, just a disclaimer, but um, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> it's important to say, um, but you know, the, there was that, and then there was a focus largely on physical health. So from Jenny Craig to mm. South Beach, Weight Washers, and I would say just overall, the landscape of self-help was largely acute. You know, you had to be experiencing something that felt pretty acute. And the idea being that I just need to do this one thing to be better, whether that was physically or mentally. And you certainly didn't want to be caught dead in the section of the bookstore that was labeled quote unquote self-help. And then we think about what happened starting in the early 2000s and onward with technology and social media, the app store, so many of those pieces. And I think also millennials becoming the largest share of the workforce led to this democratization of the category that went from owned by few and expensive and short-term to owned by us all, very community-driven, ground up, and this idea of preventative mental health. And so when you hear the, this like self-care is a buzzword, people are often like, what does that mean? And honestly, it does mean something a little different to everybody. But what I would say is that when we think about the shift from self-help to self-care, we think self-help is short-term, acute, and trying to get on the other side of a specific issue. And when we think about self-help and the beauty of where we are today, it's, again, community-driven, preventative, habitual, and really from the bottom up. And so we absolutely are seeing that come to life, not only in our own user base, but also in the workplace. And a huge part of that was the intersection, obviously, of all of the things that happened last year across the uprising for racial justice, the pandemic, in the United States, the election, but also globally, there were so many political uprisings really intersecting with the pandemic. It was a lot, obviously. And I think what we saw is some of the things that we knew about this build in workplace stress, or that 70% of employees say that this is the most stressful time of their career. Only 28% mm -hmm. of employees are satisfied with the mental health benefits that are offered by their employers. And a huge part of that is that talking about your mental health still feels pretty stigmatized at work. I think we all have yeah. worked in places where it felt uncomfortable, certainly to talk to your boss, but even sometimes peers about what you're struggling with. And all of that leads to lost productivity. So we know that the, the flip side of that is two, truly billions of dollars lost in productivity. And so I think the power of so much of what happened last year is that it accelerated even more the shift from self-help to self-care. It destigmatized conversations about how we were all really doing at work. And really importantly, I think it woke up a lot of HR professionals, founders, diversity, equity, and inclusion professionals, ERG leaders. I think it woke up so many people to this intersection of mental health and representation and the importance of having solutions at work that are addressing both, right? And that are, are really owned by the people that are preventative, that are daily in that kind of self-care format, but that are also inclusive and inclusive of everyone's experience. So it's been an important time. I want to go back to what you were saying for one second. So you talk about the shift from top down to to sort of bottom up, is it akin to like grassroots political movements? Like more people are looking for it. It's happening. It's becoming like more of a practice and less of an occasion. Yes, absolutely. It's it's old power versus new power. It's um, you know a lot of people don't know that even just self care as an idea really originated 
with activism and social activism. The Black Panthers really popularized the term during the civil rights movement because self-care was a form of resistance against the systems of oppression, right? Protecting my mind and my body and nourishing myself is an act of resistance against a system that's actively trying to do the opposite. And so what I love about where we are today, and especially with the catalyst that was 2020, is it just added more fuel to that fire. This is something we also felt in 2016, mind you, when we started the company and we thought we were in the most stressful, intense election of of our time, you know, Mm -hmm. and we had no idea what was to come. But we felt a similar feeling where people started to, the word self-care started to come about more and people started to recognize its importance for resistance and for protecting themselves and self-preservation, as Audre Lorde would, would say. And so now in 2020, to your point, Sarah, it's, it's this resurgence of this movement by the people. And what's super exciting is that that leads to systemic change. And that's what's really driving the workplace interest, right? Is that people are hearing from their team members that, you know, enough is enough. They need to feel supported and they also need to feel included. And it's not an option. It's something that has to feel just as important as their salary and the other benefits, you know, it's really about how is my mental health being supported at work? When when I f- first heard that technology was going to be a carrier of the self-care of these mental health benefits, I have to admit that I was kind of skeptical. Will you talk a little bit about how you're using the technology to get the message out there and what the experience is like? One way to think about technology is human extension. You know, it allows us to extend what we're able to do as humans for progress, for time efficiency, for productivity. And one of the ways that we think about Shine as a product is how can we use the tools and basically take back the power? So it's not about distracting us from our lives or taking us out of our lives, but it's a tool that helps us go inward and spend more time with ourselves and prioritize ourselves and create a daily ritual. And one of the things that we know is really powerful, as Mar mentioned, around 2020 being this year that we really broke the stigma on mental health is there's two types of stigma. There's there's self-stigma and there's social stigma. Self-stigma being the feeling of like insecurity or shame that comes from struggling with something and feeling like you're you either aren't strong enough or you just need to like buck up or you know we all can we all can like think and call to mind I think the ways that we talk to ourselves and we're, we're in that tough spot and then social stigma is the perception of people who struggle and what's what is the the um the feelings or uh, examples of isolation that happen to people who speak out self-stigma um, is is really interesting, and that's where we kind of want to start because it starts at home, right? So before we go out in the world, how are we doing the work to make sure that we're reducing that stigma of how we talk to ourselves? The number one way that you break a stigma is through repetition and awareness. And the product itself, the Shine product, allows you to create both repetition in terms of every single day, I start my day with Shine, I do the daily Shine meditation that's a meditation that's taking events into the world. And then the awareness comes from the community, the idea that I'm not alone in what I'm going through, the idea that when we talk about a specific theme as part of the Daily Shine, I know as a member, oh, if Shine's talking about this, it means that other people are struggling with that too. And that feeling of 
knowing that you're not alone in what you're going through helps to build that self-compassion. That's how we think about the product itself is meant to be an amplifier for you and a way for you to spend more time with yourself versus obviously technology is a spectrum. There's a lot of different ways it can be used. The opposite end being you can use technology to kind of distract yourself from your life or distract yourself from being present. We're really proud that members speak to shine. Actually, one in three reviews describe it as life-changing and one in five refer to it as a friend, feeling like a friend they can kind of sit with that helps them sit with themselves. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Mara and Naomi teach us about a unique stressor that might need your attention. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. And we're back. Today, I'm talking about self-care with Mara Leidy and Naomi Hirabayashi. When I prepped for our conversation, I came across a term I hadn't heard before, representation burnout. So I asked Mara to elaborate. Representation burnout speaks to the feelings of burnout and exhaustion that come from the persistent stress of being the only one. And so if you've ever felt as a woman being the only woman in a certain environment or um, a person of color, a black person, a you know person who openly wears hijabs, a person of a certain background in terms of like your life experience, thinking about LGBTQIA plus representation. There are so many of us who can relate to being the only one, not just occasionally, but very often. And that persistent it's trauma that we're kind of exposed to of having to often represent our entire group, not by choice, but because of how Mm. societal norms manifest. And then to also feel this feeling of not being able to be your authentic self because it is, it's scary and it's difficult to not have that psychological safety of seeing yourself or feeling that connection with another person. Naomi and I certainly felt this through uh, different processes as founders and the fundraising process or at previous jobs. And we hear this all the time from our community. So many people say, thank you for finally giving me a term for this. We all know the feelings of stress and anxiety that you know just manifest on a day-to-day basis. Certainly many of us have experienced burnout, but representation burnout is very unique and it's special to um, more marginalized communities. And so I think that's that's one of the most important things we can do as a society and certainly for Shine as a company is really the power of language and of, of naming the things that we struggle with because it, what, what it does is it helps us to realize truly the most powerful words in the English language, which is you are not alone. You are not alone in what you're struggling with. What you're struggling with is human. It's a, it's a common experience. It might be a societal, a result of societal norms, um, but you're not alone in it. And so I think, you know, we saw that result in our own community when we spoke to this term. And certainly it even made me and I know Naomi feel at ease to just learn more about it because it does take a special kind of resilience and strength and grit to um, 
to be at these intersections where you're not only struggling with your mental health, but you have these um, extra layers. Yeah. I, I will say reading about it, like a weight went out from between my shoulders that I didn't know I was holding on to. And it explained it explained some of uh, it explained the years of my life. Right. Just just hearing that term. Um, so when we ask somebody to stand in for a group and treat that person as though they were representative of a group and that that group is a monolith. What have you learned? What have users told you, members told you about like what that does to mental health? One of the things that um, just came to mind as we were talking about how much representation burnout resonated with our community um, and Mara talked, you know, about earlier on about this transition from self-help to self-care. One of the reasons that we're talking about intersectionality and mental health, talking about the way that you both experience the world and then also your own experiences and all of that comes together to really um, create your reality of what you have to deal with or experience or push through every day. It's just so important. It's also where so many people have gotten it wrong. There was a really good article um, that came out maybe two years ago about why it was problematic to talk about mental health and self or self-help in a silo. It's, you know, it, the, the message from some gurus like Tony Robbins were like, you just need to be stronger. You, you cannot be a victim. And it's about you, you, you. And while I know that he has had a profound impact on a lot of people, what I disagree with was it took out the systems of oppression or the trauma that's happening because of police brutality or uh, racism against anyone basically non-white in America, the recent hate crimes against Asian Americans, um, the fight for Black Lives Matter. It's It just is talking about what we experience in a complete silo. And I think that's, that is what's changing in that more, you know, the conversations that we're having as part of our community, what we're hearing from our community about like having to put um, our experiences into the conversation and also the systems into the conversation is what's, is what's so important. And then on like the, where do we go from here? I think so many of the changes at the workplaces, it's not just about having, hiring someone and then saying like, okay, that's like, we checked our box, right? Like we hired someone, that's the, the work that we need to do. Not looking at the full scope of how you, how you make sure that everyone feels a sense of belonging and psychological safety. People are really holding companies accountable and saying, if you believe in Black Lives Matter, if you believe in mental health, show me in your leadership, show me in your benefits, show me in your budget, because we're very much in this this era of accountability and action that I think is long overdue. Hopefully there's diversity in leadership. Um, if there's not, uh, there's definitely <laughs> changed that. Um, but, we, you know, there's a lot of companies that are just sort of waking up to this now. And hopefully are taking, you know, the time to figure out how they can evolve and improve. And if you have mostly white leadership, mostly white male leadership, um, making sure that you're, there's so many resources out there to learn to figure out how you can be um, a strong, you know, ally and partner and also do the research and work on your own to not put the burden on the people of color or your Black team members, um, your BIPOC team members in a way that um, forces them to basically come up with the solutions. What kind of self-care practice do you recommend for people who do currently feel like the only? Well, I would recommend is first and foremost, connecting with people 
that are like you in some way, right? That might be at the workplace. And again, I'm so grateful. Naomi and I were able to be that for each other for years before we started a company. And it absolutely made such a fundamental difference in our mental health. We come from different backgrounds, but we identified so much with shared struggles. So if you can find somebody at work, great. If not, um, there are a lot of online resources. And especially right now in this time where a lot of people are working from home, there's a lot of groups that are forming online for people with shared challenges. But just certainly like community and finding that like-mindedness is so important for our mental health. And then I think something that isn't talked about enough is boundaries. There are so many ways that, that we can set boundaries for our own psychological safety. So whether that's, I'm not going to go to XYZ events or virtual events because, you know, I rarely see anybody that's like me there and I feel really uncomfortable and I'm just not going to do those anymore. Or, you know, I, I know that I have six Zoom calls tomorrow and energy wise, it's just going to be really hard for me to be on video for all of them. So I'm not going to be on video for all of them. But where can you set boundaries for your own mental health and protection? If you not only are struggling, but if you're struggling with that feeling of representation burnout and being the only one. And then where you can find space for activism and change, I think certainly it's important that you first are protecting yourself and and focusing on self-preservation. But if you are in an empowered position or if you are an ally, being able to leverage the powers that be within your workplace or, you know, oftentimes fight against them to create space for more voices. That could look like pointing out the work of somebody else on your team that doesn't seem to get as much praise. It could look like advocating for equity in terms of, you know, compensation for people that aren't like you. It could look like talking to your benefits and HR department about looking at the benefits that we have and are they inclusive? And not only are they inclusive for everyone, but do we have supplier diversity? You know, a lot of times the resources being provided are created by the same people. So they're just naturally not inclusive and representative. So I I think there's a range of things you could do to both support yourself as a more marginalized person in the workplace and certainly as an ally. But most importantly, just knowing that you are not alone, I promise you. And there are people out there that are struggling with the same things and finding that community as fast as possible will only help you to feel more empowered in the decisions that you need to make to protect or advocate for yourself. I want to ask, you both have families and you both are are co-running this company. So you're showing up for a lot of people right now. Would you share a way that you're showing up for yourselves? Yeah, (laughs) it's, I'll be honest, it's, it's a challenge. And it's also, um, it's, it's also a privilege too. You know, I think the first thing that comes to mind is just this, this last year and everything that that's come with it. I felt very, very grateful to wake up every single day. And and Mar and I would talk about this a lot and just feel grounded by the mission of, of what we're doing and, and the impact and the need for our community. And that, that was just really centering, um, particularly early on, right when the pandemic hit where everything just felt like, you know, which way is up. And so a lot of gratitude and also a lot of just being realistic. There's thankfully more conversation right now about this idea of glorifying and glamorizing burnout and this this idea that like there's this is the way this is what it looks like to succeed you know this is what your life Mm. needs to look like you know you get up at 4 a.m and you go running and then you you know you green juice and then you you know you do this this and this and you you get little sleep and there's just a lot of really limited 
problematic narratives around what it means to be successful and certainly what it means to be an entrepreneur. And, and I think that something that it just gets easier over time for, for me and, and obviously Mara, let me know your thoughts. Like is each year as we come up on our five years, it's easier for us to say, how are we defining our version of this? You know, a version where we um, take care of ourselves along the way earlier on in in the entrepreneur journey you know there's just more self-doubt that comes into play because you're you're trying to grasp for examples that you can relate to and and they're limited you know they're still limited but we're we're hoping to change that i think like day to day what helps me is definitely getting some time in the morning to like move move my body go on a walk journal for a little bit remind myself like i write out every day like i'm alive and i'm here <laughs> and that that helps me just you know, you can get so caught up in the stress or, oh, I'm behind on that email or, oh, I got to get to that thing that you just miss the, the, the magic and kind of the minutia. And then I think what is still definitely a work in progress is remembering it's one part of our life, you know, because it, it can be all consuming. So having each other and being able to check in with each other um, through this is I, I I'm just so grateful that we've had each other through this whole journey because I could not do it without that. And um, day by day. Thank you. Mara, how about you? I love what Naomi said about the magic and the minutia. I think that's a that's beautifully put. And for me, a lot of what came out of 2020 was a values check. I I realized there's a lot of things that I cared about that I wasn't prioritizing as much. And so I I moved to be closer to my family from New York to Georgia. I decided to really settle down and commit to the partner I've been with for a decade. <laughs> we decided to, you know, start a family. There's so much that I think to Naomi's point of, of privilege and, and being able to, you know, have a time that was just so difficult for so many reasons and, you know, we certainly felt that and I experienced my own personal losses, um, but to also be able to create and to make space and, you know, create life, like all of those things, I'm just feeling so grateful for. And so I set my 2021 intention to really be around just presence in that. And, and I think something I'm thinking a lot about right now that's been really helpful for me through my pregnancy journey is just my relationship with time. Like time is something that I so often feel like I'm working against, you know, whether it's a quarterly goal, a board meeting deadline, something that's coming up that I need to hurry up and get something else done for. And there is so much to be said about trying to live life the opposite and just the spaciousness that you can find when you, you create that space to appreciate time. And it doesn't mean that I have less meetings or that it's any less stressful or, you know, more challenging to run a business remote through a pandemic and balance kind of all the life changes happening. But I think what it does mean is that I'm, I'm able to show up every day in my authentic self as much as possible, you know, highs and lows. And mm -hmm. I'm also just appreciating it. I'm appreciating this time that I have. And I'm four weeks out from delivering a human. And I'm just like, oh, wow, that's so cool. I mean, you know, admittedly, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, four weeks left. You have to give yourself space to be human. But on my, in my good days and my best moments, I'm, I'm really sitting in how like cool that is. And I just want to appreciate this four weeks. I don't know that it needed to take pregnancy to do that, but I think it's just been a good lesson for me and just how to just rethink about my relationship with time. 
You've had this entrepreneurial journey for for almost five years now. If I could build you a time machine and hand it off, what would you go back and tell yourselves at the start of this journey? It's just to just to know know our power and to know that we are powerful because there are so many steps in the journey where you forget that. And I think especially when the power dynamics are set up in the way that they are in venture capital and in technology and in this idea of being a founder and what examples out there are of successful founders. I think that it's so easy to um, just like question your authentic self, but we're able to stand so much taller today because we've, we've just felt that time and time again, when we live and act and lead as our authentic selves, everything is better. Everyone else is lifted up and we, you know, don't work with the people that aren't right for us. And we find more and more of the people that are, and it just makes just the whole ecosystem better for all of us. I love that, Mara. I, I know something I definitely struggle with is like feeling not enough. And I think when you're in such a competitive city, a competitive industry, that can get compounded. And at the end of the day, like everybody's struggling with some version of that, you know, to some degree. And so uh, just as we've gotten more experience and we've seen seen what we, we felt in our gut was such a need and seeing that come to life for the last five years has just been so energizing. Um, and so the message I would give to myself and, and, you know, for anyone listening, that's like thinking about trying something, taking a leap, um, pushing themselves in a new way. It's like, what would you do if you just worked off the assumption that you are enough and mm-hmm. that everybody is going through their own journey? Even the people that seem like they were just born having it all figured out, like <laughs> just, just, you know, just stay focused and do the work. And that'll, that will build the confidence over time that you are right. You are enough. You're doing the work that you should be doing. That was Mara Lighty and Naomi Hirabayashi, co-founders of the Shine app. You can check it out at theshineapp.com. And I really hope you do. This week on Hello Monday Office Hours, we're keeping the conversation going on self-care and representation burnout. Join me and Michaela Greer on Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll be on the LinkedIn news page. You can find us by following LinkedIn news or emailing hellomonday at linkedin.com for the link. If you liked the show, please take a moment right now to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Each rating and review brings more people to the conversation. It enriches our community and it's an easy way to really help us out a lot. Thanks. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. Today's show was produced and hosted by Sarah Storm. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Riando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Michaela Greer, Samantha Roberson, Carrington York, and Victoria Taylor also support the show. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You also heard music from Puddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. Our show's back next Monday. Thanks for listening. I'm so grateful that when we all landed at Betaworks back in the day that I got to be there with both of you, both because you're amazing and what you're building is so amazing. And by virtue of us getting to be in the same room, I felt so much less alone. I felt like I had a right to be where I was 
because you were showing me that it was okay. You were leading in the space in a way that I found amazing. Thank you for saying that, Sarah. That that means a lot to Mar and I. That really, yeah, just thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Thank you for receiving it.